What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Teddy Cahill. Thank you for tuning in uh, to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for, apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP. That's BASHIP to save 20% off. Teddy, we're uh, here to talk about the A system today. And a big reason wanted to uh, bring you in is you are the Florida specialist. And the A's have been uh, pretty uh, pretty prominent in scouting Florida the last uh, last couple years. I want to start with their number one prospect, A.J. Puck. I think... We've seen the A's over the course of a couple years. They went to Florida in 2016, drafted Richie Martin with their first-round pick. Uh, 2015, I should say. That one did not work out. Um, it has not been successful in the eyes of any evaluator. They go back to Florida, bring up A.J. Puck, and he shot through the system. You know, Puck was a guy that was considered a potential number one overall pick. Fell to sixth, uneven, uneven junior year. But since he's come back into pro ball, I should say, He's looked like he should have been the number one overall pick in that draft or close to it. What was your sense of Puck and, you know, the validity behind him falling just as as that all happened uh, during that junior year in Florida and, and how he's come back now? Well, the whole time, I mean, I understand why he fell. You know, you look at his uh, his junior year, it was, it was rather inconsistent. But um, – the whole time, the tools never really changed. You know, he just wasn't locating quite as well. And the other thing about that team was Florida had, you know, this incredible rotation of Logan Shore, A.J. Puck, and Alex Faedo. So that's two first-rounders and a second-rounder. And then Dane Dunning was hanging out as a swing man. And there's another first-rounder there. So... That allowed Kevin O'Sullivan to be pretty aggressive in some of his moves. And basically, it wound up being that Puck and Dunning were essentially like tandem starting for a while. And, you know, if they didn't have Dane Dunning, I think A.J. Puck would have been allowed to work out of his jams a little bit more often as opposed to just like, well, his pitch count's kind of running up there. Like, let's 
let's get them out there out of here because we can afford to do that. Um, you know, so I, I just think that some of the inconsistencies um, that existed may not have existed um, in a different situation. So to see him have success, uh, definitely not surprising. He had plenty of success at Florida, uh, you know, even during that season. And, um, you know, I mean, th- there was a I, I understand the fall. The fall to six was a bit steep. And I definitely thought at the time and continue to think so that the A's really benefited from that. Absolutely. You know, he started off this year with a lot of, you know, it was three four inning outings. Then he went three and 2.1 and three. They didn't really let him get stretched out and start throwing, you know, five plus innings until May. But once he did, I mean, by the end of it, he was going seven, couple six and two thirds. I think what was encouraging to me, you know, I saw him in the Cal League. And as I've said on other podcasts, he was as dominant and probably the single most dominant pitcher I saw this year in terms of when he was on. And then he went up to double A, and while, you know, there was obviously some more contact to higher level, he was going pitching into the sixth and the seventh. He was still striking out over a batter and inning, ended up leading the minor leagues in strikeouts overall this year. I, you know, the control is something that is still never going to be his hallmark, but you see swing and miss stuff. You see the ability to pitch deep into games. You see the ability to roll over a lineup two, three times and handle any challenge thrown at him. I mean, to me, this is a guy that I think we're going to look back at two, three years, especially with some of the guys taken ahead of him in the 2016 draft and go, man, someone really missed the mark here. Yeah, uh, and I just don't really understand why what people are looking for, um, you know, these college starters, we expect them to, you know, at the top of the draft, it's just like they're expected to go out and, and dominate for you know, 15, 16 straight weeks, no one expects you ever to do that at any other level of baseball. You know, in every level of pro ball, you would be excused a poor start here and there. But they, it just doesn't happen for these, these top-level college starters. They have to be on from the start of February until you take them in June. And, um, you know, as a result, you know, that you get you can get some, some guys falling. Fido fell, Puck fell. I mean, and both the Tigers and the A's are really going to benefit from that. And, um, you know, A.J. Puck's going to be in the big leagues this year, potentially. You know, I, he has everything to needed to, to excel as a pro player. I don't know if he's going to be a, an ace or anything. Um, you know, there are legitimate concerns. Uh, but he's got – the body's what you want. The, the fastball's what you want. The, the slider was ridiculous. The, the slider's absolutely what you want. <laughs> you know, he's uh, – He's really good, and um, you know I think the A's have uh, a guy that can be a, a, an important piece of their their pitching staff for for you know a long time to come here. You know it's interesting. The A's, you see the position players they brought up the last few years. You saw Matt Matt Olson come up last year. We saw Matt Chapman come up. There's definitely started to bring up some interesting young position talent. The pitching uh, has has definitely been a shortcoming. They traded Sonny Gray. They've tried to fill some holes here. I do feel like A.J. Puck can be a guy, you know, one of the, a homegrown A's starter. and They do have a nice history of, but one that can come up and really start, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to, like you said, lead the rotation as the number one, but, you know, be that focal point, a guy that say, hey, we now, we have this young lineup, we've continued to build and build and build, and I do feel like A.J. Puck can be the guy you can say, all right, be the guy in our rotation that we build around two, three, four years and whether it's the other guys that come up after him, you mentioned he'll probably be up first, but you have Jesus Lizardo, 
if James Caprillion can stay healthy, his teammate at Florida, Logan Shore, I do think you're starting to see the makings of a potentially impressive A's rotation. I do think starting in AAA this year in the PCL will be an interesting test for A.J. Puck. Well, I mean, the thing about that, though, is that he's going to be in a, a decent spot in the PCL. He's not going to be in one of these ridiculous PCL parks. Right. So, being um, yeah, I mean, that, where he is, and that, that whole division in the PCL is a pretty normal division. Um, you know, you got Memphis and New Orleans. And, right. You're, you're um, not going to Salt Lake, then Reno, then Albuquerque. Yeah, it's it's the normal part of the PCL. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it is a challenge because it's AAA, and it's a challenge because he will occasionally have to pitch in some of these more ridiculous PCL parks. But the way it works, like, uh, I, I think it's going to, you know, it, it's not the same as having to go pitch in Colorado Springs. But, I mean, you also have, I mean, there, there's talent at the big league level, young talent at the big league level in terms of pitchers with – uh, Jerrell Cotton and um, Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman's still only going to be like 27 this year. Yeah. So I mean, and, and um, you know, Sean Manaya. Uh, they they have some uh, some intriguing pieces uh, running around, and, and you know, in their ballpark, you don't have to be incredible. And you, know? you also you get 80 games there. You get another 10 at Safeco, another 10 in Anaheim, where the ball doesn't fly. There's definitely a lot to like about what's what's coming up. Moving off of Puck, and look, I, I think it was extraordinarily clear. This is the number one prospect in this system. There was not a lot of debate. You have some middle infielders in Barreto and Mateo, uh, both of whom, you know, Barreto made his major league debut last year. Mateo completed double A, going to triple A this year, might be around in the majors. But Dustin Fowler is an interesting guy to me because obviously we saw him make the major leagues. And then in his first game, destroy his knee in a horrific accident. The A's acquired him anyway in the Sonny Gray deal. You look at the A's lineup, their situation, center field, there's a little bit of an opening. I just overall, I mean, when you see an injury like that, a guy like Dustin Fowler, who, by the way, was an 18th-round pick, zoomed up, was getting higher you know, grades on him than Clint Frazier was in the Yankees system. Tremendous story already. You see an injury like that. Any thoughts? I mean, especially because I, I just don't understand how anyone is, you know, that's th- the most difficult player, I think, to rank in the whole book. Um, you know, and I say that as the guy who wrote the Indians chapter and dealt with Brady Aiken. Um, you know, I, I don't know how, how you handle Dustin Fowler. And, um, you know, it was interesting to see him get traded after that happened. Um, you know, I, I it's going to be very interesting to see how he comes back from that because it wasn't just your typical knee injury. You know, I mean, I, I think we all can handle, you know, an ACL tear. Um, you know, we understand what that means. And I think that players understand what that means. Um, but what happened to, to Fowler was a little more than that. And so it, it's just going to be interesting to see a player who uh, was at least partially part of his game is, is built around his, his legs. You know, how, how what does he look like when he gets back uh, to, to full health and how long does that take? Yeah, you know, we talk about the injuries. That's been one of the more interesting subplots to me of the A's and kind of the group they've, they've put together here. A lot of them have injury histories that are a little bit concerning. Um, you mentioned We mentioned Dustin Fowler. Jesus Lazardo is a Tommy John guy. Sean Murphy, one of my personal favorite prospects, was hurt a lot in college, dealt with injuries last year as well. James Caprillion has had a lot of health issues. We saw um, we saw Logan Shore miss some time last year with a lat strain. Dalton Jeffries had Tommy John. I mean, six of their top 13 prospects have all had significant injuries. I guess when you're you know, what's your thought on just how much risk there is there? Because to me, that's it's pretty it's pretty mighty. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, they, clearly they were willing to uh, to accept some of this risk. Um, you know, some of those guys that have injury history, it's not really like, uh, you know, Sean Murphy's not a chronic. Like, that, that's not, a, that's right. not a, a, a huge concern going forward. But just to see what they did over the summer in, in acquiring a couple of players who had had significant surgeries, um, you know, clearly – um, the A's, you know, had access to, to medical records and all that, you know, they could review that and all, all the rest of that. But I mean, that's to, to take those players on in the Sonny Gray trade, um, you know, is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a different strategy and maybe they, they felt like that gave them access to a, a higher level of player, um, than they normally would have, but, uh, it, it is not without risk and, and, you know, it, it'll be very interesting to watch how those guys, uh, come back and, and rehab. I think one thing with the A's that, and look, it's a product of the fact that, hey, they have traded away guys year after year after year now, and so you expect there to be some talent in their system. One thing that I don't want to say mitigates it, because anytime you have six of your top 13 prospects with injury history concerns, nothing really mitigates that. But you go and you look, number 12 prospect is Grant Holmes. Number 14 is Sheldon Noisy. Number 15 is Nick Allen. Even as you get into the teens, there's still some talent like legit talent here i mean noisy and holmes both have big league futures you know av- you know solid average big leaguer grades on them nick allen was you know he was a fourth round pick but he got first round money uh, I and mean, this is a guy that most people felt was one of the most gifted defenders in the entire draft kevin merrill is another very highly touted shortstop i guess i do kind of want to start a little bit with just the depth of the system. You know, Greg Dykeman is another guy you covered. Uh, they went college heavy these last two drafts a little bit, but between you know seeing Dykeman and Jeffries, uh, what's your overall sense on on the caliber of these college guys the A's have been picking? Well, I mean, I, I really liked what they did in 2016. You know, when they went out and grabbed uh, Puck and Shore and Jeffries all at the top. You and know, then Murphy are, was their third round. Yeah, I mean, but the, those three guys were all they all pitched for Team USA, um, and. You know, if you pitch for Team USA, you know, as a as a if you pitch for the USA Collegiate National Team, I mean that that is a significant thing typically, and and that summer's pitching staff was incredible, and and they went out and they got three of those guys. I mean, I think that all three of them uh, have the potential to move quickly. Obviously, Jeffrey's got is getting slowed down by injuries, but you know, those were three reasonably polished players already. Um, and, you know, and honestly, the, the least polished of them was probably the one they took first and he had the biggest upside. So, you know, those are those are some big time guys. And, um, you know, Murphy is, you know, just, a, you know, this was a, a he has an incredible growth as a player just during his college career. And I think people have been pleasantly surprised by him in pro ball. Um, you know, I think people that followed him closely at Wright State are less surprised. And then, you know, in, in Greg Dykeman, um, you know, that's an All-American uh, huge power, uh, some you know questions about where his best defensive fit is, but you know he really made some strides at LSU defensively. So um, you know I, I think they've done a good job of attacking these kinds of uh, college players that uh, you know have a chance to continue to get better in pro ball, but are also reasonably polished products already. And you know obviously this is something that the A's have really uh, perfected over the last two decades. So, you know, I, they, they know what they're looking for a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I think in the last couple of drafts, they've done a good job at the, at the top end. You know, it's interesting to me. The 2015 draft was not a good one. Went Richie Martin, Mikey White, Dakota Chalmers, all guys who 
do nothing for anyone nowadays. Uh, Sky Bolt, um, again, you know, interesting guy, but not a guy a lot of evaluators see as as a potential pro, uh, major leaguer, I should say. But then you go to 2016. You mentioned that draft where they got those those four guys at the top. Tyler Ramirez, seventh rounder, reached Double A and held his own his first full year. And they also went out and traded with the Nationals, and they got two guys who were also really well-renowned products in that 2016 draft in Jesus Lazardo and Sheldon Noisy. I feel like the A's scouted that 2016 class really, really, really well. I think the failure in 15 has more to do with the draft class. They drafted very late that year. Right. Uh, you know, they're drafting in the 20s for Richie Martin. Versus six. Um, and, uh, you know, if you look at the 15 draft class, we wrote about it at the time. We talked about it a lot of the time. It wasn't good, and it had that, that evaluation has held up. Um, you know, I went through and I graded, you know, all the drafts. Um, you know, in the prospect handbook, we have draft grades for each of the last three drafts. Uh, before this year, uh, which it's too early to put a letter grade on. So I, I did that this year. And um, doing it for 15, there were a lot of bad grades to be to be had. And uh, that really is, uh, you know, I mean, you can maybe make an argument that that, that 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 draft should be graded on a curve. That's how bad that draft was. <laughs> um, so in 16, obviously, they bounced back well. They, they did a good job, um, you know, getting some guys. And, and you know, it seems like they've – you know, those guys have, have had pro success. I mean, that, that was a lot of the team at AA this year that um, you know, was so good at Midland at the end of the year is, is players from the 16 draft class. You know, a guy, we mentioned 2015 draft class um, not being a good one. One guy who a lot of people liked, had a really good career, was James Caprillion. And we hit on him earlier, and he just has not been able to stay healthy. We've seen it year after year after year after year. He's played eight games since he was drafted in 2015 as a professional. If James Caprillion gets right, what do you think he can be? You know, I mean, I guess that's a big league starter. Um, you know, he's a, a solid player. Um, I don't know. It's just been so long since anyone's seen him. Um, you kind of just almost at this point have to throw out everything he's done in pro ball. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it's not like his injuries have been extensive. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty cut and dry deal there. Um, you just have to get him back on the mound, and I, I'm going to be interested to see what he looks like this this season. And you know, another guy who you know we talked a little bit about earlier, but um, you know, we talked about Puck, we talked about Shore a little bit. Dalton Jeffries was the other first rounder, 2016. Had Tommy John this year. What can A's fans expect if he comes back as he was? He is, um, you know, he's a little undersized, uh, but he's got just a really good feel for pitching and a really, really good changeup. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's another guy that, um, you know, once he's healthy, he should be able to move pretty quick. Um, you know, we'll see what that looks like. I mean, given the fact that you, you got to make sure that they're all the way back and innings limitations and all the rest of that. But, I mean, I, I would figure that Dalton Jeffries is a, is a guy that can make pretty quick work of the minor leagues um, just based on what he was able to do in college uh, and, and the polish that he comes to pro ball with. There was a little bit of an expectation that closer might be in his future. Do you think that's more likely? I don't see that. I mean, like, could he go to the bullpen? Absolutely. I mean, he, like I said, he's undersized. I don't see a closer. Um, I mean, to me, I, like, I, I've never seen it in the bullpen. 
Um, I don't know exactly how high it would play up, but I don't think he has a closer fastball. Not not in 2018. So he's not blowing one on ones. I I know. Um, you know, you you throw AJ Puck out there for one and let him blow it out. You know, he's gonna you know throw you a 99. Uh, at least, but like I don't, I don't think that Dalton Jeffries gonna gonna do that for you. So you know, I, I think he's one of those players that's you know obviously everyone's more valuable if they're a starter, but like he, it would very much behoove everyone if he can stay in the rotation. You know, we keep talking about these right-handers. Logan Shore was a guy this year, and I, I had the Cali coverage, and everyone was just very underwhelmed by him this year. Uh, did not make our Cal League top 20. Now, this was a very, very strong year in the California League, so it's not the worst, you know, indictment in the world. And he was sort of at the back, you know, in consideration. But I think what was the deal with him was everyone saw a fastball that was, was down a little bit. It was not, you know, I think some people were hoping it would be 92-94. was more 90-92. He would get to a four, but it wasn't consistent. And most concerning, I think, for a lot of individuals was his changeup. That was his plus pitch. That was what he was known for. And a lot of managers and players and scouts I talked to said they saw his changeup as average-ish. I mean, they would just run off five guys who had better changeups. Um, he was hurt by a lat strain, and he got a little better at the end of the year after he came back. So you almost have to wonder if how much that effect had on him, but... Again, how much concern would you have about Logan Shore, if any at all? To be honest, I was, I'm not surprised by any of the reports from this year. I was surprised by the reports that he was throwing harder a year ago. Um, you know, that, that is, you know, that was the Logan Shore reports that, that surprised me that he got into pro ball and was suddenly throwing harder. That wasn't the Logan Shore we'd seen for three years at Florida. I think what you saw this year is Logan Shore. Um, and people have to, figure out that that's a, still a really good pitcher. I mean, the changeup concerns, that that does concern me a little bit because that was, um, you know, his real separator. But, you know, he's not a guy that is supposed to be throwing 95. That That's not who Logan Shore is. I don't think that's what the A's intended him to be when they drafted him. Um, you know, and I, I think that he had a, a solid year for them, uh, you know, there in, in the in the Cal League. Um you know, obviously it wasn't, you know, blow your doors off, but that's not Logan Shore. Logan Shore is not supposed to be a one or a two. That's why he was drafted in the second round. So, um, you know, I, I think people getting concerned about Logan Shore are maybe reading too much into those initial pro reports from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, for me, it's it's the, the changeup. You want to see, you know, if it's supposed to be a true plus pitch and it's not playing against guys in high A, I think that was where the, the main concern was. But... Again, you know, he only threw 72 innings. I, I will be really curious to see how he comes back. You know, went to the Fall League. Again, was not great there. Gave up 35 hits in 24 innings. Again, he does not have... But an 18-2 to two K to walk ratio. Right. So it's sort of, again, it's he doesn't have the stuff to blow you away if he misses his spot. But if he hits his whole fault the strike zone and maybe just everything gets a little firmer, good things can happen. Yeah, I mean, that to me is Logan Shore. And... You know, again, the the 94s, that was, you know, maybe he gets back to it, maybe he doesn't. But, you know, I mean, that's not what we saw from him as an amateur. So um, he is, I I don't think that he's a, you know, a frontline pitcher at all. Um, And I, you know, I love Logan Shore. He's a fantastic pitcher, but he's, uh, I, I think you have to, I think people would be better suited if they kind of were, were, 
looking a little more at what he did over three years at Florida versus what he did uh, when he got into pro ball initially. All right, Teddy, so I have to put you on the spot a little bit. We've seen the A's trade a lot, and I mean a lot of talent over the years to refill the farm system and try another version of the rebuild. Franklin Barreto, Jorge Mateo, Jesus Lazardo, James Caprillian, Grant Holmes, Sheldon Noisy, all in their top 15 prospects, all acquired by trades. Of all the guys they acquired in a trade, who are you most high on? Who do you have the most faith in? I mean, it's got to be Barreto for me. Um, there's just extensive track record there. The hit tool is, you know, what his whole deal is. And, um, you know, I think there's a little more certainty there. I, I know that he's lost a little bit of prospect shine since they acquired him. Um, but I, I feel like that was just going to kind of be a natural thing anyway. I mean, when, when you do look at the profile, it's not the kind of profile that we really, um, you know, go crazy over, uh, you know, especially given the position question. Um, but, I mean, you've got a guy that's already in the big leagues that's only 21 last year, play, played last year as a 21-year-old. Um, you know, so I, I'll, I'll still ride with, uh, with Franklin Barreto. You know, Two guys, and, and they're a little lower on the list, but I have sort of, I'm intrigued by thoughts about. First is Grant Holmes. I saw him a good bit at Rancho Cucamonga. And it's interesting. He he was never the guy, I remember reading some previous reports about what he could do, and that was not, none of them were correct. He was always, you know, 90 to 95, so riding life, he was not 98. But he's interesting because I, I do think this is a guy who's young. He's shown himself to be durable. I could see him ending up, you know, just being a quality rotation piece. Not a star, not a guy you're going to, you know, give the ball to if you have one game to win. But, you know, strong, he's durable. He's He's got enough feel to pitch with two, you know, fastball and a power curveball. There's something there, you know, went to double A this year. And, again, the numbers don't, don't jump off the page at you. He's very young for the level. He's handled himself pretty well. And the other guy is Sheldon Noisy. And, and both Noisy and Holmes are kind of bigger dudes. Um, they're not going to win any beauty pageants. Uh, Noisy in particular, when, he, when, I went to, when I went out to the Fall League, I, I think six foot 195 is much lighter than what the reality is. At the same time, you see a guy who's always performed. He's always hit. Uh, he's continued to put the bat on the ball with authority. Did so after his trade from the Nats. And look, Ryan Doolittle and uh, Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle were huge acquisitions for the Nationals. The Nationals had to have them, and they did. And I don't think they should regret trading Sheldon Noisy and Jesus Lazardo. But at the same time, I can see both those guys, and, and especially Noisy, maybe even uh, making more of an impact than initially thought in Oakland. You know, that's an interesting one. Um, I've never really been quite sure what to think of Sheldon Noisy. Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, like you said, he's, he's hit everywhere he's been. He was a, a strong college player at Oklahoma. The profile is not ideal. And I, I just don't know where he profiles today. And, uh, you know, I, he played shortstop at Oklahoma um, kind of unbelievably. Uh, and he played it fine. But, you know, I mean, there's athleticism there. But, you know, I, I just don't know where he profiles. And, uh, you know, Oakland doesn't care where you profile. Like, that is that is one thing about Oakland is that, you know, they they don't care about what our what, – what, what at the when you open the handbook and it tells you what the profile is, they don't care about that. Um, you know, they'll play you wherever they, they can jam you into the lineup. And, 
Um, you know, so it, from that perspective, I think he's in a good spot. I think they'll find a spot for him. But I, you know, I at this point, I just don't know where that is. Um, you know, but that that'll be an interesting one to watch going forward. He does fit the the kind of player that they do um, do pretty well with. It's going to be interesting. You mentioned you know they have Matt Chapman at third, they have Matt Olson at first. I don't know if there's a lot of face Sheldon noise. He can play the outfield. So I, I don't even know that he's tried it. I mean, he, he's, he's definitely not a better third baseman than Matt Chapman. So no. you're you're already looking at him as a first baseman. Maybe you know, they traded Ryan Healy. Maybe they DH him, but I, yeah, I mean, but that's the, you know, that's not an ideal thing right. for that so we're talking about a 22, 23 year old player. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I, I will say that um, if he keeps hitting, he will definitely get a shot, and we'll see what he can do with it. Um, I mean, I know they've they've put Olsen in the outfield, so maybe that's the answer. Is Matt Olson plays left field and Sheldon Noisy plays first base? I don't know. I mean, I, I just pulled up his page. He's never played out of the infield. And yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I do know that if uh, as Oakland looks this over, I, I know Oakland has looked at this, I am sure, and I'm sure they've thought about can we put him in the outfield because Oakland will give you all kinds of positional versatility. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Teddy, just as we wrap up here, I mean, what's your overall sense of, of the Oakland Athletics – as they stand today, this they there's clearly some interesting young talent. At the same time, they were in last place in the American League West yet again last year. There's some depth in the system. Just what's your what's your thoughts on Oakland and where they are overall? You know, I feel like they're in an okay spot. Um, you know, as, as as they stand, I mean that division is tough, and it's getting tougher. It feels like. Um, you know, so you really have to be able to, to come out swinging when you're ready to compete, and they're not ready to compete yet, for sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, when you look around, you see L.A. spending the money they're spending, and, um, you know, obviously Houston has the rain, and um, you, you figure that the Texas will, um, you know, rebound at some point here. Um, you know, it, it's not going to be easy for them as they come through this rebuild, but I do feel like they've done a good job. I mean, surprise, surprise, they're good at trades. Uh, and they've done a good job at, at collecting talent. And, you know, as they draft at the, the higher end of the draft the last few years, you know, I think they're doing a good job there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what they're able to, to come up with this June. But I, I, I feel like, you know, as you know, these guys are, are progressing quickly again because, you know, they're, they're taking a lot of these college players and, you know, a lot of them got to double A pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I, I think within the next couple of years, you'll see them start getting up to the big leagues and, um, you know, we've already seen guys like Barreto reach the big leagues. So uh, it, it's a group that, that should be able to come reasonably quickly, you know, once they once they really get going. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the way I look at Oakland right now with the group they've got in the majors, most of it, you know, we mentioned came up last year, you know, Chapman and Olsen, et cetera. And the group they've got in the minors, I, I see what they're doing and I, and I like it in general. I don't see enough to say they're going to end up ahead of the Astros in two or three years. Depending on what happens with the Angels and Mike Trout, with the Angels system kind of ascendant as well, I don't know if I see enough for them to say I think they'll be ahead of the Angels in three years. I do think that if the Mariners, uh, with you know, as the years move on, and we'll see what the Rangers, but I look at like what the Rangers have right now, what the A's have right now, I like where the A's are at better in terms of two, three years down the road. So I feel like I could see them getting to third, competing for a wild card. I don't see a group that I'd say they're going to be division champs in 2022. The one thing that, yeah, I, I, I think that that's all fair. Um, obviously, Texas has historically spent more money. Right. Um, you know, so that they can plausibly 
uh, continue to do that and you know make up some of the the gaps that exist or will exist. I, I will say one thing about the A's the system that isn't so great is that it does feel like they're lacking a superstar. You know, AJ Puck, you know, is is great. Franklin Barreto is solid. Matt Olson, you know, Matt Chapman, like these guys are are, are you know, like they are falling short of that. They're really good, but to me, they're falling short of that superstar. Um, that you need to compete against the Astros, who have Correa and Bregman and Springer and all on down the Altuve, line. Altuve, your MVP. And, uh, well, it, by the time the A's are ready to contend, Altuve's going to be in decline, I would assume. But he's obviously proven many people wrong before. Uh, you know, and the, and the Angels, you know, running around with Trout and Otani and, uh, you know, players t- like that. I mean, I don't know that the A's have those kinds of players right now. Interesting, interesting thought. Well, we'll see what they uh, add uh, this year in the draft. And hey, they picked up Austin Beck last year, who is loud and toolsy, and maybe he can grow into that. Yeah, we talked all about all these college players yeah. that are polished. Austin Beck is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> so we'll see where that, where, how they are able to develop him over the, the next few years. All right, well, that'll about do it here. Uh, for Teddy Cahill, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you again for listening, everyone. And uh, today's podcast, once again, was sponsored by Baseballism. Visit baseballism.com for the best apparel in baseball. Enter the code BASHIP, that's BASHIP, to save 20%. Have a good one, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.